Hello and hello. Welcome to the Character Arc Podcast. Uh, I'm Ted Hong. And I'm Richard Bertelson. Welcome to today's episode. Today we will be talking about the men and women in Black International. We are a rumor. Recognizable only as deja vu and dismissed just as quickly. We are the best kept secret. Uh, please keep in mind that if you select an hour long podcast about a movie and not expect spoilers, well, you're the problem. So, uh, so what we'll first do is we'll give a, our own personal version, synopsizing the movie to where we will both learn for the first time if the other person enjoyed the movie or not. Following that, we'll have an open discussion about the movie, talk about what we change, and end with a final thought. So, let's jump to it. Why don't you go ahead and... You want me to synopsize this movie? Yeah, synopsize this. this. Okay, so, Agent H and Agent M, played by Thor and Valkyrie, they find a handheld Death Star, and through a series of incompetence, Agent H gets a promotion. Sounds about right. Uh, I went with Archer and Lana go on a misadventure hiding from ISIS while figuring out why a 20-sided die (laughs) is so important and figuring out who is the mole in the organization. Sounds like another episode of Archer. I do, yeah, <laughs> I think that that's a pretty good parallel. Um, oh yeah, and there are aliens. Chris Hemsworth's <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth character does have. He is. He's very. I, he's not incompetent. He is. Um, he's Archer. He is. He's. He doesn't really give a shit. <laughs> I guess is more like it. He can do things well. He just would rather. Fuck off, I guess. Yeah. Um, which, can we start with, very early in this movie, Chris Hemsworth does have sex with a snake squid... Tentacle... Something. Pod. Um, so, that happens. Squidward. Squidward. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very strange, and I don't know. I don't know where they were going with that, to be honest. It, it's, it brings something that I'll mention about the movie, which is that it kind of, it kind of sets it up like this is a joke. So he gets poisoned, he needs the antidote, this snake squid alien has it, he says he'll do anything, cut to him peeling her tentacle off of him after... A night of... Yes, they they (laughs) clearly had the mad alien sex because everyone is naked. And it was supposed to be a joke, but it just kind of made me feel blah about it. Yeah, I was like, alright. And I felt like the movie has jokes about every five seconds. It is a jokey movie, but I I did laugh, but very rarely. It they mostly were they mostly just didn't hit me. Yeah, I I feel the same way. But then again, I kind of when I think about the other Men in Black installments, I feel like that's pretty much apart from the first one, probably just because it was the first one. But the subsequent ones were a little bit they didn't quite hit the mark. Uh, yeah, I too felt a little blah. I mean, like I was still. I was entertained to a degree. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time, but I also didn't feel very enthralled by it. Yeah, I don't know. Plus that scene where he leaves, it was just like, huh, classic, classic douchery. You just mean like, when he leaves the one night stand with the alien? Yeah. <laughs> Where's her breakfast? <laughs> that is my um, question. What does she eat? Uh, I'm sure she got plenty to eat the night before. Oh, um, gross. <laughs> <laughs> He did mention about cleaning up his mess and stuff. <laughs> there was it's a, just so unpleasant to think about. She's a... I don't even know what animal she's like parallel to. That's why I keep saying squid snake. It, and actually, Tessa Thompson later makes a joke about how interspecies sex works. She's not that humanoid. Like, this is... this. I don't... 
I don't want to think about it, but the movie made me think about it. Right. Where they opened where up the did, gates. Where did his little Thor's hammer go? <laughs> where did Milnor disappear to? I I honestly, as far as a more overarching opinion, I did not super enjoy this movie, but I also don't feel comfortable tearing it apart a lot. Yeah. Because I feel like it's it's aimed at very small children. I feel like more so than the other one. Oh, then all the more reason to tear it apart. Because I, I feel like the first Men in Black... The Men in Black has always been a family franchise. It's always been friendly right. to families. I feel like the level of like energy and the, the type of comedy, for the most part, this is aimed at kids like that are five or six. Mm-hmm. This is like something... With the lowbrow humor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I feel like if, I, if you were a kid of that age, other than there might be a one or two times of frightening images... You probably would very much enjoy this movie. It but it does not translate the way that some kids' movies do to also being super funny for adults. Right. It's just kind of you get that it's humor, it's just not gonna make you crack up. Yeah. Okay, so I guess let's try let's try saying some nice things about it first. Okay. Um I really I, I like the cast. Um Emma Thompson, Tessa Thompson, all the Thompsons. All the Thompsons, <laughs> and the Hemsworth and the Leesons. Yeah, no, they were great. I think, yeah, if they were, if it were cast, if the cast was of other people, I don't think they could have carried it as much. I think the reason why it was appealing marginally was because of these characters or these uh, these actors. Um, I agree, I, and that's that, that made me that made me also hard not to criticize it more because we've seen Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson be hilarious on screen together in Thor Ragnarok. And while I think you're right, they elevated this movie. They made it better than it might have been. But I still wasn't. I still know that it could be funnier. It could I, have I know been them. I'm yeah. like, I know you two can do it. Yeah, make me laugh. Um, I did appreciate how it was kind of like an international spy thriller. You got that sense. So that's what made me attribute it to Archer. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, it is Archer and Lana. So actually, most of my most of my praise for the movie would come in the concepts that they bring to Men in Black. The Men in Black franchise up to this point has mostly been buddy cop movies, and this is very much a spy movie. This is a spy movie involving moles and double crosses and crime lords and all kinds of traveling the globe. It has the structure of a James Bond movie, which right. is a cool idea for Men in Black. It actually makes more sense than the structure of being New York cops mm-hmm. uh, because they are dealing with aliens. I yeah. Was, it's, yeah. It's kind of weird to think that, you know, it's almost kind of how arrogant can we be that the only alien organization protecting <laughs> the Earth is in America. Right. Right. But I, I did I did really like where they weren't always in suits. It's the idea that they went outside of it, and I, I think that makes it a little more appealing because... They gave you more of a personal feeling towards these characters than you ever got for Will Smith and um, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, at least in the first one. Which, to be honest with you, I've seen the first one a million times. It's been a long time. I've only seen the second one once, and I've never seen the third one. So I don't know if I don't know if as they progress, it changes. But Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones do not have personal lives at all. And while these characters don't have personal lives either, they hint that they still have feelings, and they're right. still people. They're they're just they're purposely they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. In fact, that you could argue that that's why it's a weak reason because they don't go into it enough. But that's why Chris Hemsworth is so incompetent is because he's kind of had to push something down. But yeah, okay. See, that is something. Um, it kind of goes into change a little bit. I wish they explored that a little bit more. They save that in the beginning of the movie. They uh, it's um, Agent 
H, which is Liam Hemsworth, and then High T. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, not Liam. Yeah, <laughs> that's his. That's the other one. It's the other, one of the other Hemsworths. <laughs> one of the other Hemsworths. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, right? Oh, jeez, I can't believe I said that. Anyway, um, <laughs> you picked a lesser Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Liam. Um, his name even starts with L. <laughs> so yeah, Chris Hemsworth as Agent H and uh, Liam Neeson. That's why Liam Neeson. Okay. Uh, was a high T, right? He's he. They, so the two of them go to Paris. They're in the Eiffel Tower, and they're dealing with the end of the world with the thing called the Hive, right? So yeah, they they do a little bit of a prologue kind of thing, show what happens, but they don't actually. You don't see what goes down. And the whole time, I was expecting to see what does happen. And toward the end of the movie is when they finally acknowledge it that he has just been uttering the same sentence as if he's been neuralized. And I wish they kind of explored that a little bit more because that to me seems like the darkest moment, right? Yeah. In terms of story structure. Like he's realized all of this and it would explain his behavior and his suppression of things, his emotions. Because they allude to that throughout the, the first half of the movie almost always to the, uh, what were the, what were the, the sea creatures in um, Phantom Menace? The Gungans? Yeah, to the Gungan. <laughs> to other agents i don't know they they all said that he was acting weird like he's no longer himself. he's not himself yeah see do you take that his change uh for one that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie and one of the one of the, uh, just real quick uh praise that i have of sometimes they use the men in black in this movie in a way that is different than they have before and i i love that when they're in the elevator she starts to suspect that maybe he doesn't remember the event so she asks him and he answers the way he always does and then she's like, but that's not actually an answer. And then he gives the same answer he always does. And then he starts and to then, realize, yeah. oh, I, I've been men in blacked myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that was really clever and really cool. Yeah, it was great. Uh, but did you take that his character was different because of that event? I took he was different because of his romance that he had with the crime see, lord. that's where they, I felt like they misdirected it. Um, I could see that as being a part of it. I don't know. Because he knows that. And so he, I don't think he can act out or be, because he's definitely acting out. He's acting out. He, he knows when Liam Neeson talks to him, he knows that he is not performing like he used to perform. He acknowledges it. And so I don't think he could do that if it were something that his memory was wiped for. I think it's but, because, I think it's because the, he describes his relationship two different ways. He tells Tessa Thompson that he didn't know she was a crime lord at the time when they met. And then he tells her that he knew the whole time, which I don't think is an inconsistency. I think he's lying to her because I think he just wants to close the book on it, say, no, I was just using you. Uh, but actually, I think he really did fall in love with her. And I think at a certain point, the, it does see the movie doesn't explain this. See, I just filled in the gaps where I think right. the job required him to turn on her and it really did break his heart. And see, I think this this event was supposed to mirror what is used later at the end. So because, okay, so the idea with the hive is that they infect whatever entity, and while the entity is still there, they are forever compromised, right? So there is still that person's consciousness within their body, but now they're also infected. So using that, so <clears throat> the idea, what I, what I think it was supposed to mirror is that he had a job, he had to do it, and he had to push down whatever but it's still there i feel like they misdirected that the whole i think the whole motif was that you know it's in your gut they're talking about emotion whereas tessa thompson's character is supposed to be very logical and she's very smart uh, and she's just completely disregarded any sort of feeling right um that's even mentioned in the scene where they're rebuilding or repairing the bike even chris hemsworth uh, agent h was mentioning that you've never fallen in love 
that kind of thing. I know it's a little on the nose. Yeah, that is a problem. Whenever the movie handles emotions, it handles it very... It, instead of delicately, it just kind of brings a fucking fist down on you. Like, yeah. This I is mean, how I feel. Yeah. Exactly, right? Um, where it would... Ideally, it, it could be great that they could approach it that way. But, you know, being a kid's movie, I think there's some laziness that could be forgiven um but yeah in that so the whole idea was the gut feeling right i think that was supposed to in some way be incorporated with how you feel what you feel even though you have to do something in that so like uh at the, at the end with agent h saying like i know he's still in there again with the gut feeling and uh even though it was a job he still felt for riza um the the merchant of death right yeah so he's not absent of any of these emotions and i think that's what it was supposed to reflect which is why like see this is if, if it were me if i were to write or improve on this it would be that in the beginning this is why he's trying to suppress his like un unconsciously suppressing these emotions he's just kind of acting out he's not taking yeah. things super seriously right. because because i think the job took something from him and so he kind of decided that he would he put a he put a distance there. He wasn't only going to give so much going forward. But he doesn't know why. Like, yeah, he doesn't, something he doesn't like, really acknowledge it a whole... Like, like, it makes me think of Eternal Sunshine, where, like, the body still feels these emotions. Like, the feelings have, like, these memories, right? But you can't really recall what it is. Sometimes, like, when you smell something outside, and you're like, why did that trigger something? Am I correct that even us as the audience, we don't know what happened that day, even at the end of the film? That we know is... that he didn't... They didn't save the world. I assume that Liam Neeson made a deal with these guys at that time. See, I... Yeah, nothing was explicit in that front. Yeah, see, okay. Yeah, that, that brings a little bit of a, a few plot holes. Why would they infect one and not the other? Yeah. That's because, you know, I feel like now you have two people on the inside. That's one. And then, so if not two, why neuralize the other one and not infect him? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. All right. We've beaten the movie, everyone. <laughs> We've beaten it. Um, jumping back, because you kind of mentioned it, on you kind of described Tessa Thompson's character, Agent M, as being like really like logical and, and capable. And I agree with that assessment of her character, which is why just a scene that annoyed me is, because it's a cliche scene to begin with in any movie, but when she, she does all of this work to get into the Men in Black, she gets transferred to London, and then and you see her, you see that she is incredibly intelligent, that she's spent 20 years finding out this organization we've we know that she's passed all the exams to get in the fbi and the cia and all this stuff like that and the first time she sees chris hemsworth she goes goo goo eyed over him right and it just felt really disingenuous to her character yeah, i know the okay, part of the I joke there that, is yes. the alienist controlling time and making him go in slow motion but she was also in, she was in, getting real wet over it <laughs> <laughs> We'll go with that description. <laughs> and she then she talks to him, and she then almost immediately... It's actually confusing. She yeah. almost immediately then doesn't like him after she has a chance to talk to him, but then is also super excited to be on the... to That he invites her to the mission. Right. Which I get... I mean, you can not necessarily love the idea of spending time with someone, but also maybe like the opportunities presented. So, yeah. But I just wish that... I wish that she just didn't like him off the bat. Or... I think a quick fix for this would be to, for her to see the poster of him saving the world and associate that it's him. So when he comes on screen... Then she actually admires him she instead admires of She admires him, but then, yes. Instead of this woman who is who is very driven to a professional success. That is her whole reason for living. Instead of her just being like, 
guy hot. Yeah. Because that just that just doesn't work with her character. And adding another layer to her character in the sense that when she was a kid, so, okay, so yes, we, we know that she's incredibly intelligent. She's reading about black holes and other things and have fallen asleep with a book on her chest, right? And if you were to think logically, if there's a certain amount of, a th- or if there's a certain authority looking for this beast or doing whatever, she would have just handed him over, right? But it takes a bit of compassion to be like, oh, I'm going to let you leave. In the beginning where she uh oh the alien yeah the alien which comes back in the most forced way imaginable yeah but yeah it's a way to save the (laughs) but yeah so like in that sense like it shows that that could have been something that could have been uh it could have been a callback right which it 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 is a callback because it shows that because of her compassion this guy 30 years down the line ends up helping her right and that should be for her right so yeah like you could be all tunnel vision thinking only logically and somehow it comes back around but they didn't quite do that i mean not to really expect much but at the same time they could have done it it wouldn't have required much to just tighten it up a little bit yeah and i yeah yeah, i'm such a sucker for that like i always want i want it to be neatly wrapped up and i feel like it's the whole idea of like subverting expectations there's a time for that and in fact when especially if you choose your moments the impact is a lot more there's more of a hit to it but if they do it for everything, even for jokes, it's just like, well, okay. All you're all you're left with is a lackluster kind of feeling, right? It's like, okay, well, I watched that. <laughs> yep, yep. And that's that's what we get for this movie. So I will say that I liked, uh, I liked the the two. They're they're sort of villains. They're pursuing them, and they're pursuing this weapon that they find. Uh, they do find a weapon. That is essentially a Death Star that you can hold in your hand. It can just when they use it at zero point zero one percent. The twenty-sided die. Yes, it it can blow a hole in the earth if you were to crank it up. It can theoretically destroy an entire civilization and maybe even series of planets. I think they. I think she even says a whole star system. So, it is it is a Death Star you hold in your hand. Uh, but uh, it's being pers- it's being sought after by these two kind of. We don't know a whole lot about them. We know that they've been affected by the hive, but and that's enough. Uh, uh, I don't think the two were infected by the hive. I think they were like they escaped. We and think were... they were at least for part of the film. Well, and... they didn't have like tentacle tentacle things right, coming yeah. about. So, <laughs> but they do the tests where they say that the DNA is mixed in. Oh, they that's... find hive hive DNA. We I think we just assume that once we learn about their we learn that their powers they can seem to like reorganized molecules i guess mm-hmm. uh i the what i assumed was that the dna didn't work on the dna latching on didn't work on them because they can just kind of rearrange everything yeah uh but they're pretty oh. cool like the way that they are shown is pretty cool yeah. their powers are obviously insane and unbeatable so i enjoy they seemed very menacing and it was mm. a pretty cool cool idea for a for a looming threat to have yeah absolutely you. yeah I, yeah that's one of the things i did like although for some reason i thought it was culturally insensitive i don't know it's just like the cliche of it having some other foreign yeah. ethnicity be the... <laughs> <laughs> sure i mean like i mean I, th- I think i think that that trope is something to be concerned about i think it's less damaging if where it's really where it's really damaging is when all of the villains are of an are of a non-white race and all of the heroes are white I think it's helpful 
really the way that media maybe should try to aim is to be like, hey, everyone of every ethnicity can be any type of person. And so it's, I, I'm not saying that it's good. I agree where you're coming from. They're, they're made threatening because they're foreign. Um, <laughs> but I think it's at least a little helpful that the cast is diverse enough that you see that there's also, there's representation of people on the quote unquote good side right. of different uh, races and genders as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned this earlier, but you know, uh, with uh, Pawnee, right? Or Steve, whatever yes. you want to call him. Uh, um, when he was first introduced with the other chess pieces when they armored this up is a, this is a small alien who seems to come from a society of aliens who dress up and live their life through the world of chess because they live on something that looks kind of like a chessboard and their armor they are designed like chess he is called upon he serves his queen anyway yeah <laughs> anyway so the the characters are able to like put up their armor or defenses so to where they look like an inanimate object I, I presume uh, anyway so the pawns when they armor up, it it just looks like a dickhead um, because of the way his head is shaped. And then the armor encapsulates, encap, well, I can't even say that word, encapsulates the entire body. And so all you're left with is just a phallus. <laughs> he turns into a vibrator. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, this is for kids, right? So yeah, I thought that was very... Why would they pick that character design? Uh, but that they did. You know that invisible wall that they, they put up whenever they're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like uh, instead of police tape, there's an illusion that goes around so no one can right. see them handling a crime scene. Which is great. I think it's a great idea. And I... So in the first part, uh, do you remember that green alien's name that was uh, featured in the, the front page? When she grabs her jacket oh, um, and says he'll come back to his no, family. No, it's something... It's something, it's like Jimmy or something. Jimmy. I think it might actually be yeah. Jimmy. All right, anyway, so so yeah, they have like this invisible wall that has this illusion that nothing else is on the other side. But if you look at the wall, okay, so it's a concrete slab with a fence, right? And on the fence, it says, caution 10,000 volts. It's an electrified fence, right? Under a bridge. And it's just available to anybody. Anybody can wander anybody off. Anybody can wander a, off. It's like right? Jurassic Park levels of electricity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's not a very good deterrent. One. <laughs> Two. Who? I don't know. She's just putting her face through it. Was my yeah, biggest problem. Uh, which also doesn't explain why she can get through the fence. Because the fence is on both. Is both The illusion mass mimics what is really there on a normal day. She still somehow steps through that fence. Yeah. The fence is still there. She's just on the other side of it. She walks through it without... Yeah. She can walk through the illusion, but she can't theoretically walk through the real fence that's behind it. Wouldn't it be funny if she put her face through... And the then she got electrocuted. Yeah, <laughs> put her nose right against the fence. Do you think that Agent C is called Agent C because he's a cunt? <laughs> I was just going on the pun for Agent C. <laughs> he is the so Agent C. So much more C. innocent. <laughs> but yeah... Man, we're having a hard time on this one. You know, the movie is just the movie. It yeah, is It is a... It was something that happened. <laughs> it's kind of what it was. It's, it's a family adventure movie. It falls victim to a lot of men in black tropes to a hardcore degree. Like, the when they're fighting the two... Uh, I'm going to call them assassins, even though it's not what they are. They're there to get the weapon. But when they're fighting them for the... When, they, when, they, when our main agents face off against them for the first time... And they just keep pulling weapons off the car, like out of the gas tank and out of the rearview mirror and out of the hubcaps. It's like, I mean, at some point, parts of the car have to be car. Have to work. <laughs> <laughs> they can't just, they can't just all be guns. 
I mean, it was still. I mean, also, I'll concede to that. It was I mean, still a very nice. Uh, this is something where sequence. you can actually say this is one of the these. Are, this is the little bits where you can say, "Fine, it's a kids' movie, like a kids' kids' movie." It's not an excuse for something for for young adults to necessarily be illogical in any way. But it is okay for something for children to not necessarily make perfect sense. Uh, but when Chris Hemsworth grabs the bike, the alien bike, and mm-hmm. follows after, uh, at some point in the movie, the men in black kind of think that they're rogue agents and so come after them. And so they they have the weapon, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, and so they split up. And Chris Hemsworth tries to catch up with Tessa Thompson after using this alien bike that he has that he knows is nearby. You see, like, the, the propulsion jets from that thing just wreak havoc on everything. Everything. Everyone. I mean, you have to assume it melts some people. Yes. Because <laughs> they're in very close proximity to a lot of human beings. And you see it, like, throw bo- people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it might as well have thrown they people. Have, uh, they have severe burns or, like... <laughs> Not only that. So there was a part where they, they launch into the sky and they drop back down. And they're like, oh, I can't believe that worked. And uh, Tessa Thompson notices that everyone's watching. And so they get the neuralizer. But the thing is, they've been riding around the Past whole... hundreds uh, of people. The whole market. I, Just I, the one group is going to be like, what happened? Oh, hey, did you see that bike? I think, be a, <laughs> I think it would be a... And particularly because she, she makes sure to flash everyone there. But doesn't But that doesn't anything. continue to do it either, though. And also, yeah, she doesn't reset their memory with any yeah. information. So they're just like... What was I... It's like when you walk into another room. Why did I walk into this room? I think it's safe to assume that... Because there is a Men in Black force after them of dozens of agents, they probably clean up the city afterward. They're just coming around flashing. But you, you could have either. I mean, either then don't don't draw then, attention. Yeah. To then it. why would you? Then, why would you yeah. even flash anyone? <laughs> Sorry, taking that word <laughs> a different <laughs> different turn. Why flash anyone? Why not? Why indeed? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. No, we're struggling here. What? How would you change it? It's your movie. This project is now on your on your table. You, uh, you've got the script, you've got the blueprints, how would you change it? I would, because the movie wants, the movie wants to be a comedy, it, it is an action movie, and it's serviceable at that in many ways, but the movie obviously wants really badly to be a comedy, and it's not, I don't think it'll be super funny for most adults, uh, but I say lean into that in a different way, like, in a way that has another sort of level to it, which... So we learn that Liam Neeson, the leader of the London branch, is a traitor. We actually learn more complicated things than that. He's been kind of melded with an alien life form that has some degree of control over him. So he's supposed to get this weapon and betray the Men in Black and give this very powerful weapon to the Hive. I say just let Liam Neeson be a conscious betrayer. Like, let him have made that choice. And then where all the other agents seem to wonder why Liam Neeson protects uh, Chris Hemsworth's character, instead of it being like, oh, because he really did think he was a son and it just changed over the last two years, I say part of his betrayal was that he claimed this person was the best agent, but he knew that he wasn't. And so by, by allowing an idiot to be the point man on every major mission, he's therefore ensuring the ineffectiveness of the men in black. <laughs> I would like that to be the twist. That that would be funny. I could, I would be on board for that and version then as well. Chris Hemsworth has to actually deal with the fact at the end that he realizes, no, you aren't good. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> and then either decide to be better. Then maybe he then maybe he lets himself be 
Tessa Thompson's student after that, not student, but like junior agent after right. that. He's like, no, I actually do want to be, you know, he goes through the bad part where he's sad about it and has to deal with the fact that he's an idiot. And then he's like, then he comes at the end and instead of him getting the fucking promotion that he does not deserve, he would, he would decide to go to her and be like, no, I actually want to be better. I want to be good at it. I know that I wasn't, but I want to be good at it now. That's the only major, like anything other than that, it's, I, I, I'll, I'll take a bit of what you just put down and like, I would be, I would be heavily interested in watching that. I think that would be funny. If I were to kind of keep it within the confines of the story structure that they already have set, I would have changed it to where Liam Neeson is not infected, like as you mm -hmm. said. But there was a line that was uttered by one of the agents saying that, you know, we used to be the protector of Earth, but now this is what we're doing. We're, I don't know. Protecting the, uh, the, the, the scumbags scum. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. And maybe Liam Neeson has become jaded on that front because the hive is kind of like this this virus that just kind of takes over. That would work if he unit. decided... But it also get, it would lend way for him to erase Agent H, his memory, mm -hmm. and also give way for Agent H to also remember things but not actually have those memories. Like his body will remember the whole idea, but he won't actually have those, those chores of memory. I don't know what I'm saying, but... Yeah, so... He'll like, have a feeling. He'll have a feeling, right? And that's the whole idea of the, the movie, you know, having that gut feeling. And I would have made the reveal that he had been neuralized earlier so that there is a, a bit of, like, this helplessness and, like, this sort of aimlessness for him to kind of pick himself up. Yeah, I think the movie is missing... The movie is missing that character arc, even though it does kind of happen. You don't get to believe in the character because you see them really decide, okay, no, I have to change and make this better having trouble describing because you do but you don't feel it you don't right. feel because he is more or less just a dick for most of the movie i mean you enjoy watching him enough but he's a dick to everyone around him he's unquestionably just an asshole right uh, he does not take anything seriously Archer. and yes <laughs> and but well he does make the change you don't see you don't really see why he makes the change. He just decides to because he realizes he was neuralized, which, yes, that's a starting point. But like you said, give give him a moment to reflect on it. Yeah, to process it. I mean, plus that would also lend way for him, for us to see why he was considered the top candidate to run uh, that branch for MIB. Right? You no, know, I don't care. Yeah, that, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump on that. Go for it. That scene real quick because I don't care that... He, Yes, you do see enough that he is capable. He is... As a field agent. Yeah, he can fight and kill things and get things. But he he would be the worst candidate for leadership you could possibly imagine. Now, he may have changed at that point, but he made that change like an hour ago. So the okay. fact that some other major men in black is like, yeah, you're the one who should be... No, he's had two years. The movie's expressly said that he's had two years of fuck-ups. Yeah. And being an idiot so maybe he gets to keep his job because he showed that he can be that agent but he doesn't get to run yeah. <laughs> the branch to which agency if you were it, he no he's he was an annoying character for sure but he deserves that job yeah. a whole lot more than chris hemsworth does <laughs> more than agent h yeah. But now, okay, so we've talked about his character arc, right? So he's made that revelation. But what about Tessa Thompson, right? I think she had a character arc in that she didn't have one in the sense that she was already... She didn't have a professional one. I think she had a personal one. I think that you see that as she talks to H, 
she does kind of open the door to not just being about work, to also acknowledging, I'm not saying she's going to do some of the things that he did, but I think she acknowledges that just because you don't talk about your human side, just because you don't let it take over work, doesn't mean you don't have it and doesn't mean you shouldn't acknowledge it, to yourself at least. Uh, because she does... I'm glad they never they never sparked a romance between them, per se, I'm, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad, glad they, they didn't, didn't because that. it would have been really out of place and unnecessary. Yeah. But you did feel that they had become actual friends, though, and they did care about each other. And so that's cool. And I think that's her character arc. I think her character arc comes... I think they start on opposite ends, and they meet a little bit in the middle. And I think that's the idea between these two characters. And I do like that. I think they should have gone more with her being so driven. Um, because, as you know, like with any story, characters are flawed, right? It gives a more engaging story if the characters are flawed and they learn something, right? So, because I know they're... <sighs> This could get a little political. Like, I know with the whole female cast, um, trying to develop characters that are, are strong and independent, uh, or at least have that more of that presence, uh, and I do agree with that, but the idea of having a character improve, I think that should be the, the, the aim, right? Um, so, in saying that, she is a very capable and intelligent character. But it also makes for a better story and for us to engage and care about this person if they have some sort of flaw that we want them to kind of, you know, to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do in this, but again, like, I, but see, that's what I mean. Like, her character, like, she didn't, there wasn't much change No, it's, that. it's 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 Her change is in the background, and they could have gone off of, because a decent scene written between the two of them is when they have that mission to... Presumably, the only mission that Agent H is good at, which is taking this alien out for like a party night, and then he introduces her to the alien by saying, "Oh, she's a she's an expert on everything about your species. You know, she speaks your language fluently and all this stuff like that." And then he goes to get drinks, and she follows him, and she's like, "You know, why are you kind of throwing me under the bus like that?" Like, right. I, you know, and he says, "You know," he mentions something about how. Yeah, it may be crappy what he did, but it's also crappy for her. The way she presented to get on the mission was Mm -hmm. to pretend like she knows everything. Right. To pretend like she's an expert and think she's not an expert in it. And so if she wants to act that way, then she can act that way with everyone and not just him, essentially. That's that's the subtext of what was said, at least. He's kind of using the way that she tried to manipulate him, she's he's now using against her and to embarrass her out in the field. Right. Which is a good idea, because that, that is a flaw that she has, that she is so driven that she'll kind of present herself as anything. And But the problem is the movie doesn't continue with that. The movie just kind of forgets that's a thing after it happens. And, right. so, and she doesn't... She neither The weird thing about that is she neither fixes it, nor does it appear again, really. It just kind yeah, of goes away. It just goes away. Whereas if that had been a problem that she was presenting over and over again, and then realizes, no, I'm going to have some humility here... And that was her character arc. You would feel that character arc more than the personal character arc because the personal character mm. arc is such in the background for a movie that, a franchise that really right. drives home the idea that these aren't individuals with individual drives. Right. So that's why that character arc kind of gets buried. But if you did it about her, about she's so driven that she kind of shows no humility or no ability to learn from someone, even someone who. See, that's something you could have changed. Right. He could have, she could have learned, she could have realized, I could actually learn a lot from you, even though I kind of think you're a clown. Because she probably could. Yes, hold on, let me get, let me jump on that. Like, to make her a little bit more dynamic in, in terms of the story. Because she did not say that she didn't 
feel. It's just that they were a distraction. Mm. So just as he's suppressing or trying to blind himself or whatever the heck is bothering him, she's just like, I won't deal with any of this, right? Because it gets you nowhere. But, and this is where it'd be kind of nice for that gorilla alien. Yeah, I don't remember what they were called, but he started out looking like uh, Stitch. Yeah, he did. And then, See, he, and, then, and then he grew into a big so gorilla. So it's thing. like, you know, there's that balance. And how it's it's great what you're talking about. Like, he's got one side and she's the other side. And they kind of, like, balance each other out in terms of this. She had that aspect, but she put it aside. And only to have it resurface and have that part come about would also be kind of... It's a nice way to wrap it up. That's the way I'm, That's what I'm imagining. I think we said character arc more in this episode than we have in any episode I know, thus right? far. <laughs> It's good branding. Yeah, I don't know. I see. That's the thing. Like, I really want it to be the characters to be dynamic. I mean, that's that's what we really appreciate. I mean, that's why everyone like jumped on the Game of Thrones, right? Uh, I mean, I know the whole idea was that it was this contest of ideas and ideals, right? But the characters are these paragon, paragon, paragon. What? What of the what? What's the word? Representatives. Yeah. Right of these things and. Sorry, I'm just thinking how I wanted you to erase that in editing. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know I can't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, well, there's that. <laughs> you didn't draw attention to it. Could I not? It's replaying in my head right now. Um, <clears throat> All right. Yeah, so the whole idea is like there's all these ups and downs with these characters, right? And we become so invested because we see these character characters either change for the better or change for the worse. I think I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, but no, I think please, I can please. actually for finally zero in, in because of this conversation, zero in, in why the movie was was totally fine, but also not very engaging. And it's because even though they have a bunch of obstacles in their way, they're never that challenged. They right. they just and this and you don't necessarily even get the impression that they overcome the obstacles because of their own skill or growth. You get the impression that they just kind of it was just Mr. Bean their way through it. Like they just huh. kind of like they even mention after one of after their big heist to get the weapon back. They even mention like actually every single step of that plan went wrong, but hey, we've got it anyway. And it's right. like that's how the whole movie huh. feels. Yes. The whole, okay. They, yes. they aren't they aren't driving it forward. Stuff is happening to them. And they just happen to survive it, right? And so that makes them that makes them a very passive sort of Character. people in the yes. story. And that's why, yeah. So we can't get behind them because we're not rooting for them because they're not they're doing a lot, but they're not. You don't get the impression. You don't go like, okay, I know exactly what you want to achieve, not just because the movie told me, but because I know who you are as a person. Because that's what makes us the sort of a cheerleader for a character, right? And we didn't get that because the movie just happens to them. And they make it through it. I wholeheartedly agree. That's exactly you just you articulated that exactly because what was it? Yeah, because like everything that happens, all of it was just a detour, a delay. So for example, so they get away from the 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 chase scene, the bike scene, right? They land in the desert. They know how to fix it, right? It right. It just yeah. took some time. They lose the thing. They know where it, any any sort of obstacle was just a delay in time. There was never any sort of growth. Yeah, it was and, the the bike landing. There was never any concept. No one ever mentioned the fact that hey, we could die in this desert because right. they just started picking the bike and it was fine. It was the the weapon was stolen, but from a magical series of events, 
Chris Hemsworth knows exactly where it's going. Yep. And then same goes with, with her. You mentioned Tessa Thompson. She saved an alien in the prologue uh, as a little Stitch-like character. And later, turns out he's the bodyguard to this woman. And so she can stop a fight that they're losing because she knows this guy. It's like, these are just accidents. These are just luck. These are not them... I mean, them fixing the bike isn't an accident. But a lot of the big trouble they're in, it's just... But I think that's just how it is for the Men in Black franchise because I remember, I don't know, the third one, they did try to go a little bit deeper into like a story um, or a character. It's very hard to say because I vaguely remember the third one. I remember the second one. The first one I remember a lot of. But but I feel like the thir- the first one definitely had a character arc. Um, he had learned all these things and... Um, there was a sort of lesson. Well, there might not have been like a personal uh, development, but there was a sort of story development for Agent J. And yeah, because more... Jay starts out wanting to be this badass intergalactic cop, and he learns that actually this is very serious business with a lot of stakes, and so he needs to take it more seriously. And like, so he goes from being this is cool to I've got a job to do. Right. It's a very clear character arc that you see develop through time. You right. see him face consequences, you see him learn how to be better at his job, and you see him execute on it. Exactly. So that is something... That was the heart that's missing from this movie. It just didn't have that appeal. I agree. Did have plenty of allusions to alien sex, though. Yeah. How many times, though? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently that's what Agent H is into. She has a third hand, Ted. What, why, why am I thinking of Clerks 2? <laughs> so I think we've, we've hit it right on the head. How great would it be if when she actually goes into the Men in Black headquarters for the first time before she's an agent and she kind of does all this tracking to get them get in there? And then she's down. She thinks she got in, and then as the elevator is going down, it says, warn, it says unauthorized intruder, and then it just drops her. I was just... I. Just imagine that an actual organization like that, it would just open to a fire pit and she would just be gone. They wouldn't talk to her. They wouldn't do anything. (laughs) Fades the black, the end. (laughs) The message, kids, is don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong. (laughs) But instead they hire her because that's what you do when you're a shady organization. Not a shady organization, but a, a super secret organization. I don't know. It's pretty shady. It is pretty shady, I guess. You could you could go off of Men in Black and start concocting this world in which they touch on the gray areas where like yeah no for diplomacy like he mentions you know as you mentioned before where agency is like oh you know we're just kind of protecting the scumbags and you could actually have a movie that, that explores that a little more which is kind of like yeah we're really in over our heads so we kind of have to do things that we don't love doing but we're just one planet that's not even the most powerful by a long shot. So we kind of have to do that stuff. Uh, that would obviously be a darker movie. And I don't, Men in Black doesn't need to be dark. It can be a fun. Yeah, it which just... is, that's the tone of throughout the franchise. It's always been this sort of lighthearted kind of family action movie, adventure movie. So, I mean, yeah, I'm trying not to mix in my preference for what the story could be. Right. But, yeah, no, I absolutely... 
I'm on board with that. I guess we're gonna go to final thoughts. Yeah, let's go to. Final do you wanna? Thoughts. Do you wanna? We did a favorite scene for the first couple, and then we didn't do it for Dark Phoenix. Yeah. I don't know if I had a favorite scene, it would be that scene that I mentioned because it was the it was like a really good idea for Men in Black, which is just where he realizes he's been neuralized, and they're both good actors, so you can see her. It was one. It was one of the only authentic moments I felt in yes, the movie. Yeah, see, that's you what I was saying. See, you can see it dawn on her. Mm-hmm. You know that she, you can tell that she knows this is difficult for him, but that she has to keep asking. She she also just doesn't want to tell him. She has to ask him questions until he figures it out himself, because that's probably the only way he'll believe her. And you see him get visibly upset once he realizes he's been repeating himself so much. Like more so than any scene in this movie, that is a very well acted, very well written, and very well directed scene. Uh, see that. That was actually going to be the scene that I was going to mention. Because that's what I wanted to see more of. Yeah. Um, that actually made me like become more invested. And of course, it was at the last moment. Right to the end. That's, that, <laughs> and that's why I was like, oh, I wish they had done more with that. Because that actually pulled me in more. Kind of gave a bit of an explanation, or alludes to an explanation, as to why he's such an incompetent agent for the last two years. Uh, final thoughts. Um, the movie wasn't bad it could have been better it just lacked heart um to which we just hit on the head i mean you have such a you have such a great world to build on this and uh i don't think it fully utilized it so no yeah i agree um yeah the movie kind of was dull to me i think that it's a pretty prime example of how a really great cast can they can only do so much because um, everyone's performance, everyone's performance in this movie is good. Yep. Just unfortunately, sometimes the lines that were written for them or the way that the action is edited around them doesn't do them justice, doesn't put them in the best possible light as far as being able to convey real emotions. Because they all can and do try. They just, it falls flat because before the actors ever came on board, it it wasn't there yet. Yeah. The story wasn't there. Yeah. To which, it's a safe movie. It doesn't do anything particularly meaningful, but it doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I agree with that. Apart from the interspecies erotica. (laughs) You know the internet's gonna have just so many images of Chris Hemsworth fucking a squid now, right? Yeah. If you just go on DeviantArt and search for Agent H... (laughs) I'm sure it already exists. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, well, there's that. <clears throat> well, we're going to leave it on that note. Yep. Alrighty, well, uh, that wraps, wraps up today's episode of Character Arc. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Uh, you can also visit our website now, which is characterarc.net. Uh, arc with a K, obviously. It's a pun. Maybe, maybe it's a boat pun. Maybe it's an Indiana Jones reference. Who knows? Which arc is an old word for box? Chest. But then I also think Transformers. Anyway, that's the end of our episode. Alright, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and comment.